Matthew's Gospel, you remember we're in chapter 5 and we're going through it at a steady rate. Steady as she goes. And verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew, And seeing the multitude, he went up into a high mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to spend some time tonight um, talking about that blessed state of being merciful. The merciful ones, the people that show mercy. And um, I want to talk about what it isn't, uh, which is um, probably easier. Uh, you know, all these states, as we've been going through them, depict the Christian character. And really, one of the things that's important about these scriptures is how do you like being probed? How do you like God beginning to get inside of you and turn around the little searchlight on your meager little existence inside and turn onto your heart and begin to shine on the things that really you wish weren't there but are there, how do you feel? Now that is important to know. You know, uh, Spurgeon, I was telling my wife this morning, Spurgeon was mentioning an illustration uh, one day he went and there was a, uh, two Chinese conjurers that were going around the country in Spurgeon's day and um, they went round and one of them would stand up against a wall, it was a wooden wall, and another man would take a knife and he would throw a knife and one would go by the ear and stick in the board by it and then he'd throw another knife and one would go just above the head and he'd throw another knife and it would go just underneath one arm and he'd throw all these knives around this fellow, and then he'd throw it an open hand and get it between the fingers. A hair's breadth away. And you know, a lot of preachers are like that. They preach to multitudes and never hit anyone. Their aim is so accurate. They never intend it to hurt or offend or wound anyone. And I like Spurgeon's comment. He said, when I preach, he said, I aim for the heart. I'm not trying to miss anyone. I'm trying to hit them dead sender. I'm not trying to uh, gloss over things or get round things or say it in such a way that people will feel it just misses their ear or it whistles under their arm or it glides safely by their leg. I want to hit them. And I just don't want to hit the limbs. I want to get right at the heart and go bang right for the center. That's the way it is. That's the way all preaching should be. 
remember one silly woman in America saying to me, you know, you're too direct. The best place to be is in a church where they're direct, where it hits you. It hurts. Of course it does. Preaching's meant to hurt. It's meant to wound. A sword was never for cuddling. And it's a sharp two-edged sword, not a blunt one. Not one wrapped in cotton wool, but a sharp two-edged sword. And it's aimed for your heart. And believe it, if you ever feel I'm getting at you, I'm delighted. If you ever feel that the words are piercing and attacking you, praise God. It's my whole intention. I'm not trying to be a Chinese conjurer throwing knives round you. I'm trying to throw a sword right into your heart. How do these scriptures, as you go through them, how do they strike you? Huh? Well, that's what it's all about. Do you be, object to being humbled by scripture? When you find they're explained and expounded, does it kind of bring up a resentment in you? A feeling of, oh, not again. Or a feeling of delight that God should so graciously deal with you inside. Point out all the things that need dealing with. Uncover all the dark little crevices where you hide your filth. And expose you to light. What are you rejoicing? That'll show what spirit ticks inside you. That'll show what you are. You know, the Christian gospel basically has one thing that's very important. It places an emphasis not on what we do, but on what we are. You can do all the right things for the wrong reason. And when you come to Matthew chapter 5, it doesn't talk about so much at the beginning what you do. It talks about what you are. Christ's emphasis is what you are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you don't do anything. You are poor in spirit or you're not poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Now, you either do or you don't over your estate and the wickedness within. Either you do or you don't. It's a state. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst. That's a state. Isn't it? And they're glorious states. And being merciful is a state. And I want to go through tonight and talk to you. You know, all these things are essentially our disposition. They're essentially what I am. What I am inside. Not what I do outwardly, but what I am inside. I can do all the outward things, as I say, and still be wrong inside. I've seen people that have gritted their teeth and gone through and done the right things, but with a totally wrong motive, to be seen of men. They've done it because they feel they ought to do it. But their disposition is totally contrary to what they've done. And when we come to this scripture and we come to these scriptures, one of the harmful things, it discovers us as we really are. As you begin to look at them and to consider whether you're really poor in spirit, whether you're really meek, 
whether you really do mourn for your state, whether you really do hunger and thirst after righteousness, what it does, it kind of discovers your motives inside, discovers the real you. And so it is with all of them. That's what it's intended to do. We declare what we are, you know, by the way we live. It's what reactions come out. When you're pressed and put in a corner and under real pressure, what are you? Are you an exemplification of this scripture or are you something else? That's a good test. You are what you are under pressure. When things are going nicely and everything's going well and the way you want it to, it's so easy to praise the Lord, isn't it? So easy to walk in holiness when there's no pressure. When there's nothing going wrong, you can sing your own sweet song. But when God puts the pressure on, when circumstances go wrong, then you find out what caliber's inside, what's really lurking there. You look at a woman who's got children. When they're sweet and nice, sometimes she is. But when they're grumpy and moany and whiny and whingy, you find out what they're like. Sweet and nice. Or maybe they lack just something that's in Matthew 5. It's interesting. Pressure comes and reactions come and gut reactions come and you see someone as they are. And that's the awful thing. You know, none of these things, as I said earlier, are natural dispositions. It's not natural to be poor in spirit. It needs a work of the Holy Ghost revealing to me my own sin and wickedness, the evil of my own heart and perverted nature. It's not natural to mourn over your state. It has to be worked in you by the Holy Ghost. Do understand that. It's not natural to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It has to be a work of the Holy Ghost within. And I want to inform you, it is not natural to be merciful. None of these things are natural attributes. For if they were, then it means men with some temperament start off with a, a glorious opportunity for fulfilling this scripture. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'll find some people who are just by temperament are easygoing, happy-go-lucky people. And, and, you know, they let things slide. And Well, their natural temperament seems to so much more fit in with Christian life. In fact, pulpits are full of people like that with plenty of natural temperament. There's a man not far from here who preaches and he's sweet as honey. He's got the right smile. He's got the right shiny appearance on his face. He's somewhat plumper than me. Uh, but he's got the natural uh, grace uh, which the world loves. Of course, that really excludes him from preaching the gospel. Unless God does a real work within him, he's too good just too good you know he couldn't recognize his sin he doesn't recognize his pride though it bloats up like a barrage balloon rather like his stomach um you realize there's that in him 
You see, honey was forbidden in every sacrifice. Therefore, these aren't natural things we're talking about. You need God to work it in you. If you look at yourself in the natural, you have none of these attributes. Believe me, you don't. And if you look at these things as God shows you your own heart by the Spirit, you're a million miles from them. And the more you try and get near them, the further you go from them. Because they're only given by God. They're not natural things. Thank God for it. If it had to be natural attributes, I might as well give up. I remember when I first became, uh, uh, went into the ministry and I went out preaching. And people told me, they said, well, you can't be a preacher because you don't have any of the graces of the Spirit. Which was true. Um... I loved the Lord, I had joy, I had peace, I had brashness and harshness in abundance in my natural personality. I condemned three quarters of the population to hell without a chance. And Christendom was definitely going there with the way they lived. And I, I mean, I, I was young. I wasn't far off the mark, but... Um, it wasn't the time to say it. And I, I remember going around and preaching and people would come to me and they'd say, well, you're not humble. And I used to wonder what humble was. What they meant was you had to be inoffensive. Well, Christ was never humble if that was the definition of humble that God meant. For he was most offensive to a lot of people. Uh, they took offense at his words, not that he was offensive in himself, he merely spoke the truth and they got a bit offended. In fact, he said, blessed are people who are not offended at my words. That's a blessed state to be in. And what we have to understand is the natural things are totally excluded in this realm. We're not talking about natural attributes. So let us get that clear. What is mercy? What is it? Have you ever thought, what is mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, I need to know what it is. And um, when I consider it, I suppose, really, let me put it like this to some of you. When we studied the sovereignty of God, when we spent time going through the scriptures and looking at the sovereignty of God, one thing that it should have done for your heart if it did nothing else, one thing that it should have done, besides drawing you to have a great awe and reverence of God, it should have brought pity for those who are outside of Christ. For you realize that you came into Christ not because of anything you did, not because of anything you believed, not because anything that you accepted, not because of anything you claimed, but purely because God in his mercy chose you. And you were elected before the foundation of the world. God chose you. He chose you as an heir of salvation. And basically, on that day, he lightened you when he chose to. He quickened you. He caused you to be born again. He changed your nature and you were saved. And it was all of God, nothing of you. Now, how many came to that conclusion when we did the sovereignty of God? 
How many came to that conclusion and still are in it? How many aren't in it? You're all in it. You all believe it. It's true. God's totally sovereign. Now, one of the things it should do, if so be, that you have a real revelation of your own vileness, your filthiness, your wretchedness, and your total inability to deserve anything but hell, one thing you will have is pity for those who God hasn't saved. You'll pity those who God in his mercy and grace hasn't given light to. You'll feel pity for them. That is what mercy is. It's seeing the total inability of a man or a woman to do anything about his nature because he's totally duped by the world, the flesh and the devil. He's totally deceived by his own heart and his own foolishness and he can't do a thing about it. And if God doesn't have mercy on him, he's hell bound for all eternity. He's going to live in a Christless eternity in hell. Now when you look at that and you consider that, you think the poor person, what poor people, they have no life. You realize it's not their fault, it's just the fact they have no life. And you feel pity for them and sorrow for them. Isn't that what it made you think? Didn't it after you began to realize the sovereignty of God, didn't it make you look at people and think, poor people, God hasn't given them light. Or didn't it make you think that? See, that's what causes you to distinguish the sin from the sinner. You can love a sinner and hate the sin when you begin to distinguish that particular thing and become merciful. You see the hopeless state they're in. You see they have no hope. And you know you were once like them. Without hope in the world. Of all men most miserable. And God in his grace and love intervened and saved you and redeemed you and cleansed you and forgave you and gave you life. You can't stand up and say to a man who hasn't got it, why are you thus? The only reason you're like you are is because of God's mercy. You look at the other man and you have a merciful heart towards him. Poor person. What an awful thing to be deceived by the world, the flesh and the devil and have no hope. Isn't it? Isn't it awful? Do you ever think like that? You look at them and you think, poor people. Poor, poor, blind people. Without hope, God hasn't given them light. He gave me light, but if he hadn't, we all, in times past, walked according to the lusts of our own heart. Didn't we? And you look at them, and were by nature, the scripture says, the children of wrath. That was our nature. And yet God in his mercy saved us. That, that's when you start to 
have a merciful disposition, when you really get a revelation of that, and it really is a revelation from God the Spirit, you begin to have a merciful attitude to others. When you know that what you believe is purely by the grace of God, that what you have is what God did, you can be merciful to others. Just say, God hasn't lied to them. Poor people. Poor, poor, poor people. Sometimes look at people and think, what a shame. There's no light. God's light hasn't come. Terrible thing. Children of wrath. Without hope. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. You know it's rather like the good Samaritan. You remember the story Jesus told of the good Samaritan. How he was going on a journey. This man was going on a journey and how thieves and robbers came and they attacked him. They stole what he had and they left him by the roadside. And you remember the story of how the religious men walked by. In fact, one actually walked over to have a look where he was and lay and left him. Levite didn't go near. And the good Samaritan came and it says that he had compassion on him. And he went and he picked him up and he bound up his wounds and he took him to an inn and he paid the innkeeper and he said, whatever else he owes, I'll pay it when I come back. That is mercy. In other words, mercy is not just a disposition alone, though that is what mercy is, the disposition inside. But that disposition causes me to act in a merciful manner. If so be, I have the Spirit of Christ. Causes me to turn and have compassion. Christ on the cross. He looked round at the people and he said, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. They're blinded by their leaders, their religious leaders. They're blinded by the lust of their flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. They're totally blind. They don't know what they're doing, Father. They don't understand. Jesus looked out on the multitudes time after time and it says he had compassion. Merciful. Scripture says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And so God is. Stephen, when they stoned him, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. They didn't understand. They had no light. And when you understand that people haven't got light and they don't know what they're going against, you can't resent them. You can't really have a hostile attitude because they don't understand. They're blind. Blind leaders of the blind. And it's only by the grace of God that we have light. It's only by his mercy that we see. Once we were blind, but now we see. Once we were deaf, but now we hear. And we have to understand that all things are by God's grace. Now, when it's really got home to the heart, and when the grace of God has really met your need, 
you change inside. Your heart and your disposition and your attitude to others changes. Do you see? You didn't do anything about yourself, and they certainly can't do anything about themselves. It's God who has mercy. Quite a shock, isn't it? Blessed are the merciful. Am I describing you? Someone who would look on the sinner and the person who's lost and be sorrowful in heart and pity them? Or are you more like the Pharisee who would curse them for their inability to turn? Who would blaze at them for their wickedness? Now it's different with a religious man who preaches lies. I have no tolerance. A man who's a false shepherd and wolf in sheep's clothing. That Christ never had tolerance for. A man who makes money out of the gospel, that Christ had no tolerance for. He took a whipcord and drove him out of the temple. But what about the multitudes who just don't know any better? They're blind, they're hope, they're maimed. They've never seen. What's your attitude to them? Hostility or pity? That'll pretty well show what's inside you. What spirit operates there. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about mercy when it's taught. I want to tell you that mercy is not that easygoing attitude. Anything goes. It isn't that. And it isn't being blind to faults. There are some people that believe an old man used to tell me once, he used to say, Michael, you mustn't see the faults in others. You must look for the good points. Blind yourself to their faults. Now, one thing I want to tell you, I have never found that to be so. Mercy is getting to the heart of the matter and being direct. That's merciful. I always remember when I was a youngster, I first went to a private school myself. I went to a place called Canterbury House. It was in Westgate-on-Sea. And we used to run down by the seaside and there were a number of times I would fall over and scuff my knee and that hateful matron would bring out R.D. That awful stuff. Torture ten times over. I would rather the wretched wound went septic. But sure enough, they would spot the blood and up you'd go for that curse in the sick room. Ardeen. Now, they're more merciful these days. They've found an antiseptic that doesn't stink. But those days, it was Ardeen out. And your, le your leg would have a big yellow stain around the wound. And oh boy, did it sting. How many of you remember that? It shows your age, yeah. Well... Oh, now that's merciful. But I just didn't see it as mercy. As I ran out the room hopping. Hopping mad as well as everything else. Oh, I used to get so angry about it. I used to explain that it wasn't necessary, that you know it was only small, I'd wash it. and That would do no avail. No avail at all. But there is mercy 
in being truthful and honest and direct. And I want to just deal with some misunderstandings over this scripture. And I want you to think about what I'm saying. Very, very carefully. For this is a heresy that has been preached throughout Christendom and is very misleading. Have you ever heard it said, you know, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, a parallel passage people will link with this would be the passage, If I'm merciful towards others, then God will be merciful towards me. Now, that would be a logical, man-made conclusion. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, they would say, well, that means if I'm merciful to others, they'll be merciful to me. And then they go on to say, in a parallel passage, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You remember when the Lord was teaching them to pray. And then they would say, well, I'm only forgiven my debts as I forgive others their debts. And then they'll go to Matthew 18. And they'll take, um, they'll take the scriptures there about the unjust servant. Do you remember the unjust servant? He owed a lot and he went to his master and he said, Oh, master, forgive me. Forg-. And the master forgave him all. And then he went to a servant who owed, owed, owed only a little. And he threw him in prison. And the other servants came and told the master. And the master came and called that unjust servant. Do you remember the story? And he says to him, uh, He says to him, why have you done this? And then he says, I'm going to punish you for this. Now, I want to make it clear that people say, there you are, you see, because that unjust servant didn't forgive, therefore, he wasn't forgiven. And so they've built up a conclusion, and a lot of places you'll go to. I recently received a letter from a little popsy who's over in Atlanta. She wrote to me and she said, you know, years ago in England... She'd, you know, I'd said something and she'd got offended about it and held a grudge for four years and she's now living with some idiot that believes that you must forgive everyone everything before you can be forgiven. What twaddle! What absolute twaddle! And you'll get people thinking back into their past of who they've resented. Christians call it healing of the memories or some lunatic doctrine like that. And you have to think you mustn't have resentment against anyone and you better rush round and, and tell them you forgive them and write to this person and write to that person. What twaddle. But that's what they teach. And they use these scriptures. And they'd say, does that not clearly teach? that I'm forgiven by God only as I forgive others, and to the extent that I forgive others. Isn't that what the unjust steward story teaches? That I'm only forgiven as I forgive, and only to that extent. Isn't it so that the merciful only obtain mercy, if they're merciful to others? And so they go on and they build up a whole kind of doctrine over it. Have you ever believed that? You wanted to go to God for forgiveness and you suddenly think, well, if I haven't forgiven someone, then I won't get forgiven. How many have thought that and been taught it? Hands up. Now, that's a deception. 
And it's a deception for two reasons when you think about it. The first one is this. If we were judged like that, not one of us would have been forgiven. We'd all be on our way to hell. And not one of us would get saved. We'd certainly all be hell-bound still. If we were judged like that, tell me any of you, anyone, who actually forgave everyone before they got saved. Anyone. Tell me anyone here who actually responded in love to their hearts and put things right before they got saved. Anyone. You couldn't. Your nature was against it anyway. Wasn't it? Now, if what they teach were true, you shouldn't be saved. You couldn't be forgiven. If what they taught was true. Thank God it isn't. That's the first thing that's most wrong with it. And the second thing that's wrong with it, and I want you to know, and take it into your heart because it'll go against the grain of a lot of what you've thought and believed, won't it? Won't it? Won't it? Hmm? See, often we take and adopt ideas which sound biblical and sound good, and so we adopt them without any biblical base. And the second reason is this. If that were the true interpretation, which it isn't, uh, of the Beatitudes and parallel passages, then what we've got to do is to cancel from the New Testament the whole doctrine of grace. If that interpretation of the Scriptures is true, I must wipe out completely the whole doctrine of grace. Because I'm not forgiven unconditionally without merit. I am forgiven according to how I forgive others. If that doctrine's true. Isn't that so? Think about it. If that unjust steward was forgiven only as much as he forgave and to the extent he forgave others, it's not grace any longer. He's earned it, hasn't he? If I'm only forgiven my debts because I've forgiven others, then what it means is I've earned my salvation, doesn't it? Well, doesn't it? So what I'd have to do is knock out scriptures like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Couldn't apply. I'd have to knock out scriptures like, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How could that be? I'd have to knock out scriptures like God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And I've got to compare scripture with scripture and say, just a minute, it says this was totally undeserved merit. Forgiveness is a gift of God that I don't deserve. What's it all about? Well, the explanation is very simple. Now, are you laying hold on what I'm saying? You're understanding and following it, are you? What I'm saying is, if you are forgiven on the basis of how you forgive, we'd all go to hell. That's the truth. So don't ever let the devil whip you and condemn you and kind of get at you and say, aha, you see, God won't forgive you. Because of this. Because if that was the basis of your salvation, believe me, you would go to hell. It's grace and mercy. Thank God that's what it is. 
because none of us have that ability to forgive outside of Christ. It's his spirit. That's the only spirit that can forgive. In that way, mine can't. And nor can yours. Your unregenerate, wicked heart and your evil nature won't forgive like Christ forgives. You can't. Now, I need Christ's forgiveness. I don't need man's. Now, if, as a condition of my salvation, it was the way I forgave others, from an unregenerate nature and for a twisted, perverted, vile nature, which I have in the natural, my forgiveness is not going to be very credible if I, you know, I'm forgiven my debts as I forgive others. I mean, what's it going to be worth? Why? If I was forgiven according as I'd forgiven others, I wouldn't have any grace at all. If God was going to deal with me in compassion and the way I've got compassion, I've had it. Haven't I, Mary? You ask Mary when she makes a mistake on the organ. If if I was forgiven on that basis, I'd be out. Wouldn't you? If it was the way you dealt with other people, wouldn't you all be out? If God was going to measure out to you and say, let's see how well you've forgiven everyone, okay, I'll forgive you that much. And a lot of us get into this condemnation and way where we try to work our salvation by forgiving people so we can get forgiven. Don't we? In fact, some wicked people have taught it. Haven't they? Well, haven't they? Have you heard it? I have. I've heard him teaching it. It's total deception. Now, the explanation is perfectly simple. You see, you can only truly forgive when you've truly repented. Now, the trouble with the unjust steward was that he never really repented of his sin. When he went to the Lord and he said, Lord, forgive me, I can't pay you. Please forgive me. He wasn't really repenting. He was trying to get out of his debt. But there was no hard attitude that realized that he didn't deserve deliverance. Because if he had really realized he didn't deserve it and it was totally unmerited, he'd have gone to the one who owed him far much less. And with a right hard attitude, he'd say, oh, forget it. It's nothing. But the trouble is, People that haven't really come to repentance have a totally wrong attitude to other people. They have a self-righteous attitude and they'll demand the last farthing. The religious people who haven't got real repentance and real deliverance, believe me, they'll crush you in for the last farthing. If you have anything in your personality that doesn't measure up to their holiness esteem, their very polite religious exterior, their smarmy, sweet, sickly smiles, which makes you want to... And all sorts of, you know, the types, yucks. Those type of people, they'll demand you, you have to be ten times better than them. In fact, fifty times better. You can't have any flaw in your personality, in your breeding, in your education, in your speech in your understanding of their biblical doctrines, you must be head and shoulders above everyone to be accepted by them. 
Now that type of person has never repented himself. He's never seen the vileness of his own nature. And because he hasn't seen the vileness of his own nature, he makes demands of other people that they can't keep. A man who's not religious but is really a Christian, he knows his own inabilities and his failures and his fallings and his wickedness and the vileness of his soul within. And that type of person... Really, he realizes that but for the grace of God, he'd go to hell. He doesn't make too many demands on others. Not in the question of holiness of living. If someone does something, he'll say, well, forget it, shoot, it's over, forget it. What's the point in going on about it? Or change it. That type of person has a totally different attitude to, to things. The man who's truly repented... Now the truth that Christ was putting over here and that I want to make plain to you is if I'm truly repentant, I recognize my position before God as that unjust man never did. I recognize that I didn't deserve salvation. I recognize I deserved hell. I recognize the vileness, the evil of my nature that my nature deserves to take me to hell. It would be the righteous judgment of God to send me to hell. There is no reason on earth or in heaven why he should save me. I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. And I didn't believe for it. Now if I really got hold of that and God's revealed to me my own vileness, now something happens. I come to have pity on those who God hasn't revealed it to. I feel sorry for them. I realize that it's only God's grace that saved me. I can't look down on them and say, what awful people. I just feel a bit of pity for them. I look at them and think, no light. What poor people. Now, I'm not talking, as I said, about the religious humbugs who take on a pretense. But I'm talking about just people without light. You know, vile, wicked sinners like us. Hmm? Paul said, and he wrote, I'm the chief of sinners. He really saw it. He didn't go and kind of go against people. Now, he told the church off for entertaining sins in the church and saying the grace of God was sufficient to cover them all. But basically, Paul knew his own shortcomings. He saw his wickedness and he saw his evil and therefore he had pity on those outside. In fact, he wrote, I, would, I was accursed for my brethren's sake. He, he said, I see they, they don't have a chance unless God has mercy on them. I was met, said Paul, going on the road to Damascus. A great light shined and I was thrown to the earth. What did Paul know about seeking God? Nothing till God threw him on the ground. What did he know about the way of salvation? Nothing till he heard a voice saying, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And what did we know about salvation and the ways of God until God blinded us and threw us down? May not be physically but in our soul and blinded us to our wickedness and showed us the evil of our own hearts. 
And then we stood up and thought, oh God. Hmm? Have you even got there yet? Then you look at them. And only then can you truly forgive them. When you know that you're capable of that your nature is capable of doing far worse than you can look, whatever they do, you think, well, they haven't got light, poor people. And you can forgive them for it. Are you merciful? That's true mercy. Christ looked down from heaven at us on earth when we were enemies, alienated from the household of God. And he had such mercy, he sent his son to die for us, to redeem us. Now understand, that is mercy. Now I want you to understand something about mercy. It's not the easygoing attitude, as I said. Remember this, that God is merciful. And tempered in God is truth and holiness. And mercy cannot be divorced from truth or holiness. Mercy is an attribute of God. It's not the attribute of man. By nature, man is never merciful. Man is cruel. Man seeks vengeance. Man seeks his own way and his own good. God is merciful. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Understand it to be an attribute of God. And therefore, it's linked with justice, it's linked with the law, and it's linked with righteousness. Mercy which negates the law is not mercy. Christ fulfilled the law, that we might be forgiven righteously. Don't think that a man who just blinds his eyes to what other people are doing and pretends uh, it hasn't happened, he's merciful. He's not merciful. He's deceived. Mercy is looking at it and dealing, it with, dealing with it in equity and righteousness. God deals with us in that way. Understand it. It's a virtue of the Spirit of God. To be merciful is to have a grace of God in you. Has your attitude to others been changed? Do you realize the sovereignty of God and the greatness of God in saving you is total work and do you just feel for others pity? Or haven't you got there yet? Hasn't it really dawned on your heart how vile you are? That's mercy. Don't you feel sorry for them that are blinded by the God of this world, by their own lust of their heart? The lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Totally blinded and driven. They have no hope. That's how you were. Don't you feel sorry for them? Look at them and think, oh God, if you moved in your grace and love towards them, they could be saved. Don't you have compassion for them? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you realize that's what mercy is? 
the compassion of Christ for the lost. I know I'm a debtor to mercy alone and free grace, don't you? I know I didn't deserve salvation. God saved me. I know I don't deserve anything now, this moment, or any moment. It's all by the grace of God. And I know when I'm at the judgment seat of Christ, I'll still need his mercy. But he might change me totally and I'll be absolutely like him. And if his mercy isn't always applied to me, I'm lost. In fact, I know I need to be full of mercy. Or merciful. I need to have God's mercy in my life and heart. That way I obtain mercy. I need to have that spirit of mercy, which is the spirit of Christ. Being poor in spirit is the spirit of Christ. It's not the natural spirit. Jesus emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. That was poverty of spirit. Christ became poor though he was rich. That is the spirit I need. The spirit of mourning. He mourned for the sin. I need that. The hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I need that. The merciful spirit. I need that. How little it's preached in the churches. How little it's extolled from the pulpits. You might say, well, what about the scripture which says if you pray and you remember that your brother has ought against you to go and put it right first. Well, that's true, but it's nothing to do with the other scripture which says forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors. It's nothing to do with that. Let me explain to you what it is. What it is there is David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. It'll hinder your prayers. That's why I said that your prayers be not hindered. If you have iniquity in your heart, God won't hear you. But that's after you're saved and you've got the new nature. He wasn't talking to heathens then. He was talking to Christians. That's after you're regenerate. You can't harbor resentments and expect God to bless you. You'd have to put that right and forgive or put the thing right between a brother and a brother. But that's nothing to do with mercy. And that won't earn you. It just means that God's not going to listen to you if you're going to live with resentment and iniquity in your heart. But you're not earning salvation. God's chastening you for your wickedness. Totally different thing. All right? Don't link everything together and then get in confusion. You don't earn forgiveness by that. All you do is you find God hears your prayers when you clear your heart of resentment. But that's grace too. He graciously, when he goes to prayer, he reminds you of it. says, if when you get down to pray, you remember that your brother has ought. And it's surprising how when you get down to pray, God will remind you of things. It's when you're praying that you get reminded that there's things that God doesn't quite like. He puts it in your memory. And just so your prayers don't get hindered, better go and put it right. Otherwise, every time you get down to pray, it'll come up again. That doesn't earn you anything. doesn't earn you forgiveness. It's just that God doesn't want your prayer to be hindered. All right?
You know, the condition of forgiveness is one thing. Do you know what it is? What's the condition of forgiveness, anyway? What's repentance? And repentance is a gift of God. can't repent yourself. Esau tried repenting himself. and Though he sought it carefully with tears, he could find no place of repentance. Judas repented himself. Then went out and hanged himself. But when God gives the gift of repentance, then you get forgiveness. Because you see, God gives that gift too. It's firstly a gift of repentance. Oh, grace. No one of their natural self wants to repent. How many people want to repent? When you find you've done something wrong, the last place you want to go and the last person you want to speak to is God. You feel sore about it. You feel guilty if you try and get down to pray. In fact, when you've done something really wrong, you don't want to come to the meeting. And when you get to the meeting and they start singing, you don't want to pray. And the last thing you want is a time of worship. So you sit there and read your Bible instead. Get your mind off conviction. If you can. Terrible, isn't it? And God begins to move on your heart. and Oh, dear. Guess what's there? Yeah, good memory. God reminds you. And then you have to, you either put it right or you go down the tube. You either put it right or you feel miserable. Well, you feel miserable anyway. (laughs) Even when you put it right, you think, oh God, how could I? Quite simple, if you knew your nature, you'd understand how you did. And so, that's the way we are. Hmm? Is that what goes on inside? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When you get a good idea of yourself and a real appraisal of yourself, you won't blame other people too much. You won't deal with them too harshly. If I'm forgiven, I shall forgive. But it's not because I forgive that I'm forgiven. But if I am forgiven, I do forgive. Because I get that nature within. It's a forgiving nature. Let every man, it says in scripture, examine himself, whether he be in the faith. Let me ask you a question. Are you one of the blessed ones who's merciful? I mean, is your attitude one to pity those who are lost, or is it to condemn them? Have you mercy in your heart? and compassion for them, or do you think, well, they deserve to burn in hell? They do, but so did you. So do you, except for God's grace. Do you despise them, or pity them, and have compassion? May God deal with each heart and each nature till we come to be those people who are blessed because we're merciful. And then we obtain mercy, not only for ourselves, but for them also. For our prayers aren't hindered. And God hears our cry. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You pity the dupes, 
The people who are duped by the world, the flesh and the devil, they don't know any better. Have compassion for them. Are you merciful? Do you know what it means now? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that are poor in spirit. Blessed are they that are meek. Blessed are they that are merciful. May God move in our hearts that we might truly be those who are poor in spirit. Who learn to mourn for our own state. Who learn to walk in meekness, obeying the will of God. Who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If we do those things, we'll become merciful. Merciful to others. We might obtain mercy. That they might know grace. You can't reach out to a person and tend a wounded heart. If you don't have compassion for them. If you don't care for them, you can never bring healing. If you don't pity them and see that but for the grace of God you'd go to the same crisis eternity, you'll never reach them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Father, thou knowest our hearts. How often we've looked at others. How often our hearts have condemned others. How easy it is for us to take a self-righteous air. Forgetting that it's only by your grace and love that we were saved. How quickly when we see others fall into things, O God. We take a high and mighty attitude and forget it was but by thy grace and love and mercy that we were redeemed. We forget our vile nature and adopt a false pose of censure. But, O oh God, in your grace and your love, change our inward being so God to be conformed to thine that we might have a merciful heart compassion for those that know thee not recognition that but for the grace of God we'd be there Lord let grace great grace and that merciful spirit begin to pervade the people let us come as those who realize we're but beggars in the house of God. Begging mercy, receiving mercy. But then let us, O oh God, give it out to others. Let us be numbered amongst those that in that day you'll say, Blessed were you, my merciful ones. For we shared the compassion of the Lord with the lost Lord change attitudes change our inward beings 
cause us to examine ourselves day by day and as we deal with other people let us see oh God our great need to have compassion to Lord that spirit of mercy that spirit of grace that spirit of truth is the spirit that keeps and guides us Lord Jesus forgive us forgive us for the way we've been when we haven't had life forgive us oh God for the critical ways we've adopted and Lord let us be merciful let us oh God show forth thy mercy for surely a world needs thee men and women need to know there's a God of mercy and grace they need to know your love and how will they know if the church doesn't show it Oh Lord, teach us. Teach us how to walk in that spirit of mercy. Lord, quicken thy word to our hearts. And keep us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name.